0: Good morning, everyone. Welcome to the Faces of TBI podcast series, the number one podcast for brain injury and concussion resources. I am Amy Zellmer, founder of Faces of TBI and your host. And today we're going to be talking all about manual therapies in the evolving recovery after TBI with Elena Stoiva. If you're enjoying this podcast, please consider supporting it through buymeacoffee.com slash Amy Z. Hello, I am Amy Zelmer, and you're listening to Faces of TBI, a podcast series for survivors by survivors, raising awareness about traumatic brain injury, one podcast at a time. Those of you who might not know who I am, I am a TBI survivor from a fall on the ice in February of 2014. I am a frequent contributor to the Huffington Post, Thrive Global, and the Goodman Project, and I am author of Life with a Traumatic Brain Injury, Finding the Road Back to Normal, available on Amazon. Additionally, I am editor-in-chief of the Brain Health Magazine, and you can get your free digital subscription at thebrainhealthmagazine.com. You can learn more about me and the podcast at facesoftbi.com. And you can follow me on Instagram at Amy Zalmer. And I invite you to join my private Facebook group, Amy's TBI Tribe, to connect with other survivors, caregivers, and loved ones. Today, my guest, Dr. Elena. And she is an MD, a graduate of Varna, Varna Medical University, and board certified in physical medicine and rehabilitation. And for 25 years, she has in, been integrating her knowledge in PMR with her training in cranial sacral therapy through the Upledger Institute and visceral manipulations through the Barrel Institute and intuitive healing, herb medicine, and other natural and performed physical factors. Welcome to the podcast, Elena. So happy to have you here today.
1: Hello, Amy. So happy to hear you. Yes.
0: Well, Elena, I would love to have you start by sharing, um, you know, just how did you come to working with TBI survivors? I'm always curious if there's a personal connection or if it's just the path you went down.
1: Amy, um, yes, uh, there is a very strong, poignant personal connection with this. I am a, the mother of a um, survivor of severe traumatic brain injury, magnificent daughter, Lenny Stoiber. But it was predecessed, how interestingly, with um, my work meeting me with people, survivors of traumatic brain injury. From all the spectrum of these conditions, from post-concussive syndromes in athletes to moderate and even severe traumatic brain injuries, and um, it's uh, been—it's kind of my profession—met me, put me in this conjuncture, and I gained some um, experience working with this. people and they um, informed and elevated my professional skills to a very interesting level. So when this happened to my daughter and not only to her but to all of us, my whole family and even the world because we are so interconnected, uh, I found myself being able to, from at certain points, of her 35 years, day of coma, even, to be, to be objective and to be able to feel interested in her condition. It was very surprising to me how I was, a, how I, I was able to work with her in, even in intense um, intensive care units. Yeah, that's
0: how I came to this. So maybe tell us a little bit about your daughter's injury and what happened to her.
1: Uh, my daughter, who I call Lenny Furiosa, she survived a car accident as a front seat passenger which caused a fracture in her cranium, hemorrhage in her brain, 35 days of coma, two cranial surgeries, and a and third one is looming. For us in next month, Uh, we are so apprehensive. I would say we are devastated, but uh, it happened two years ago uh, on May 1st. Uh, She woke up from coma in a world that makes her feel cold, useless, frustrated, unnoticed, marginalized, disillusioned, angry, and alone, very alone. And I want everyone who, whoever listens, hears this, to know that this is an invisible wound. That's what I call it. Probably many people call it. Um, especially for people who um, have this very strong vitality to recover from this unimaginable depth Mm -hmm. and severity of um, brain injury to the point that they can walk, function, talk to you. This is a very deep um, level of suffering for them to be uh, not understood. Their their, um, cognitive speech or um, psychological um, suffering to be Misunderstood or unknown So despite of all this That she went through rehab At Shefford Center, etc Despite of all this She refused to apply to disability benefits And resumed to working for her Then employer On the third month from waking up uh, From coma uh, So nine months later uh, She was laid off work Not due to her underperformance but due to her employer's, employer's business mishappenings she was denied unemployment status she denied she was denied disability status the neighbor who caused the accident and uh, who yeah really called this accident and all the current conditions just pretends he doesn't know what he has done and says nonchalantly oh hi neighbor if they run on each other on the parking lot. Her friends are rarely returning her calls or text. Her only family in Bulgaria call occasionally every month. Our friends, her parents' friends, if they call her, they're trying to tell her what she should do. No one even pretends to try to read or learn something about the people with traumatic brain injury. So, Amy, Thank you so much for being an advocate for this. Mm, thank you. Uh, the, I appreciate that. Awa- to raise awareness, which we, the lack of understanding is on multiple levels. And I'll talk about mm-hmm. this. But let me try to, to, to say more about Lenny, that she lives alone with her pitbull kit and her cat, and they're her only source of love. She will most likely have another surgery to replace the resorbing bone plate with an artificial one. Um, she really debates whether staying on this planet is worth her enormous mm-hmm. effort to hide her pains, so she can be accepted by others. I want people to know that I mean, the population, the communities, to know that for people suffering from post-TBI syndrome, uh, they frequently have to pretend everything is fine in order to be accepted by others. But despite of all this, she still paints, sculpts, well different plastics, metal materials, all types of materials, and works on all kinds of art media projects. She's full of light, love, sweet and compassionate Mm -hmm. thoughtfulness. But she's also full of physical pain, headaches, sleeplessness, dizziness, constant thoughts of the accident, deep hurt of the huge injustice, smashing her chest. (sighs) I cannot stop feeling her pain as a mother. Mm -hmm. I can only imagine We, her parents, are devastated by how callous the world can be. I'm confident that the world needs to be informed and aware of the unpredictable, unfair, and invisible but profound suffering of the survivors of TBI.
0: And so what, what treatments, if any, have you found um, to be beneficial for her? Uh, right now at the, at the um,
1: we are a year and a half, almost a year and nine months actually post the initial event. Um, of course she's seen by neurologist, uh, by neurosurgeon, and they're only pharmacolo- pharmaceutical. Um, Suggestions are um, antidepressants, uh, but she very rarely takes them. She's trying to stay um, on top of this. And from my work, I have noticed that I have used uh, visceral manipulation of the brain, brain based on the Jean-Pierre Baral work, based on the uh, immortal osteopathic concept of human health, uh also i use lymph drainage therapy from the brain curriculum of um, bruno checkley uh i also use the principles of craniosacral osteopathy craniosacral therapy and working on the particularly working with the cerebral spinal fluid distribution on the glial interface uh this is the Cells in the brain that mm, comprise the white matter. I remember that I started doing this in the hospital in intensive care unit when I noticed that the the, uh, the personnel was positioning her head in a way that blocked any, if possible. Um, alleviation of the fluid, of the volume uh, by fluid um, from the cranium. So I started thinking even then, how could why do they apply so much uh, medication to uh, decrease the intracranial pressure, to, de- to decrease the edema, the swelling of the brain? And they they don't care of the very simple first <laughs> line of Uh, work, mechanical um, uh, alleviation of this uh, liquid from the brain. So, of course, I was so scared, and I immediately approached my mentors, Jean-Pierre Baral, uh, Dr. Baral himself, uh, Dr. Todd Wenzier, different people from Europe uh, who had taught me this and are still teaching this. And they all advised me, hey, work away from the head for now. So I started doing lymph drainage uh, on the neck for the head and the brain. And then after the 15-day when her um, cranial uh, edema really reduced visibly, she still was in coma. You understand this, right? I started uh, doing uh, brain work and uh, glial work. And craniosacral therapy work on her head to again to promote to stimulate lymph drainage and lymphatic through lymphatic vessels through the nostrils and through the neck again. Yes, I was supported in this. Most of my mentors would tell me, no, Elena, you don't need to work on her head because we don't know what what's going to happen. Work with her body and the adverse lines of um, dysfunction the body pre- uh, presents to you. But Jean-Pierre Baral told me, hey, Elena, your experience and your hands, and remember that nobody injures the brain more than a neurosurgeon. <laughs> I'm throwing this. Here, as in an attempt to be funny, it's a joke. We are so grateful to her uh, neurosurgeon who saved her life. I'm so grateful to the uh, to the field of neurosurgery, who for the which for the last ten years has advanced so much in neurosurgical technology. Uh, has has advanced so much. Has Put so much ahead, it saves people's lives, people bra- people's brains. But it's kind of put forward so much that the boundaries, boundaries, had um, almost closed behind this. How about the quality of life of these people who survive? And because I'm in the field of rehabilitation medicine, I know that this is kind of lagging. We are not on top of how to provide care and support to uh, this lifelong process for these people. And so,
0: you know, what are you, as a doctor, how, how have you made changes within your practice? Um, treating uh, TBI patients who come to you? Uh, How how did my experience with my
1: daughter change my practice? Is that the question? Uh, I was interested in this and I learned all. I'm sorry. I was interested in this and uh, before it happened to my daughter, just because uh, people found me um, as patients looking for uh, my uh, skills and you know we live in Memphis, which is where St. Jude Hospital is, and this is the biggest hospital for um, uh, cancer research in pediatrics. And I have experience with working with toddlers, babies, post uh, post surgery, for even tumors, brain tumors. So that's how I had worked with this population before this happened to my daughter. But after it happened to her, I had uh, this personal experience with her. And and especially during our stay at um, Shepherd Center in Atlanta, I was able to work on other people, other patients there. So, in, on professional level, this elevates my, this helps my um, understanding and, and skills. And it's very interesting, this intersection between my profession and my personal life with my daughter. And I'm trying to, to transform it in, in something positive.
0: Yeah, I can only imagine that the intersection between your practice and your daughter, um, I can only imagine how that has changed how you you approach patients and approach treatment plans um, and, you know, just focusing on the awareness aspect of TBI even. And, and like you said, most doctors just kind of, blow it off and perhaps want to give us antidepressants Um, and that's not the answer. I know, you know, my doctor wanted to put me on antidepressants because I was just depressed in her words. Um, And I was like, no, I don't want antidepressants. I'm not depressed. If I am depressed, it's situational. It's not, it's not chronic. It's, you know, because of what happened to me. Um, And she got really upset with me and fired me as a patient. And that was probably the best thing that happened to me. So um, I moved on and, and continued seeking answers elsewhere. And that's often what we have to do. And, you know, it can take us years to find the right provider, which is why I am so passionate about getting the message out there and helping people um, find the resources sooner because it's, It's, you know, the sooner we can get the help, the sooner we can recover and get back to a more normal life. And when I say recover, we might not ever get back to 100%, but regaining anything is better than nothing, and and nothing is what is happening with most of our traditional interventions. So, you know, just uh, Uh, trying to get back to
1: some sense of normalcy. Uh, well, Amy, actually, um, what uh, what neurosurgery and neurology and the science of this um, neuropsychology, neuropsychiatry uh, has um, achieved until now actually shows that there is no end to it, and we the best way is to combine any knowledge that appears. Through experiences, and I personally think that sometimes um, pharmaceuticals are necessary, and we can never overestimate the importance of um, personal approach to any any patient, any human being, because we can even the research shows that the um, the cohort we use in Clinical research are only pertinent hundred percent only for the people involved and in this research study. But what about the individuality of any person? And the longer we live with people with survivors, we understand that every person is every personal recovery. We cannot predict it. It evolves in its particular way. So. The precision how we decide what is necessary does not exclude medications, pharmaceuticals, or other approaches. The best way is to be always in contact with this particular patient and see how his story evolves through his body, through his organism, and to definitely include the soul which is the meaning of the Greek word psyche and this and to overcome this fragmented approach to human health on mental or physical there is no there is no border between these two and um to uh when when we work with people with T B I survivors, definitely we have to be um informed about how strong their post traumatic stress level of post traumatic stress disorder is in these cases.
0: Definitely. So I yeah. Well, yes. Elena, thank you so much. This has been a lovely conversation and we are just about out of time. Um, but I do want to make sure we mention um, if anyone like would like to find more out about you or get in touch with you, your website is Elena Um, And we do have a clickable link in the show notes, wherever it is that you are listening um, so, Elena, thank you so much for your time today and sharing with our listeners. Thank you, Amy. Everything you do, I wish you luck in March mm.
1: to Washington. Mm. I will support thank you, you in this. My family supports you in this. Thank you for thank Brain you. Health Magazine, which I saw uh, at Shepherd Center for first mm. time. and Wonderful. Please continue doing, I wishing you health and luck and continue doing what you do and let us know how can we contribute to this. Because society, population need to and, um, broaden its view on even the concept of norm. The extension of normalcy is extending. The continuum of norm is extending just because human beings prove
0: it. Well, thank you, Elena, so much for being here today. And thank you, everyone, for listening. I hope you enjoyed today's episode. As always, you can find previous episodes on most streaming platforms, such as iTunes or Spotify, or you can find them directly at facesoftbi.com. And you can support the podcast through buymeacoffee.com slash Z. You can also follow me on Instagram at amyzelmer. And just another reminder to join me inside Amy's TBI Tribe on Facebook. Thank you all so much for listening. Thank you for being a part of my journey. Have a great day, everyone, and I'll see you in the next episode.